0: Good morning. I'm getting older, so I'm learning new terms, and one of the terms that I didn't, haven't used until recently is the term um, adulting, or I'll hear people say, I had to adult so hard. I didn't know it was a verb until I uh, recently saw this image. So this is this is new terrain for me. I'm realizing I'm becoming an old guy. So, it's to adult or an adult, adultier adult. Uh, this is, I'm learning. But so those of you who are more familiar with adulting, what is it? Just shout it out. Help help me out. What is grocery shopping? Paying bills. Responsibilities. Wait, what was that? Bu- Buying, to- I thought you said tofu. Okay. Okay. So lo- lots of responsibilities, taking on commitments, and adulting is bad because boring, boring. boring. hard, expensive, expensive. Constant. <laughs> constant. Yeah. <laughs> So there's a lot of... Nobody usually talks about adulting like in a positive way. It's always got that negative lens It usually meets there's suspicion around it. Uh, suspicion around commitments because the more commitments I have, the less options I have. And the less options I have mean the less possibility for fun times. And so i got to be careful here about not adulting. Uh, one way, I didn't use the term at the time, but one way I realized when I was 21 and I was having a hard time of saying yes to some of that kind of stuff, was uh, I had a friendship going with a girl named Amy Claussen. And uh, who we were, we were living in, in the town I grew up, we were both at a college together, and my parents uh, fell in love with Amy Claussen. I mean, who wouldn't? And my dad, in particular, loved her. She loved gardening, he loved gardening. Um, she knew how to speak his, his particular brand of humor. And so he really liked Amy. I would, for a whole variety of reasons, I was very hesitant uh, to commit, to get into a relationship. And so my dad would pull me aside and he'd say, Look, man, analysis is paralysis here. <laughs> like, what? You can't think your way into the, this relationship. You, you've taken a long time. And then he'd say things like, who else is ever going to marry you? Um, <laughs> just, just applying a little heat. Um, and so I was really surprised then that Thanksgiving when he told me, by the way, I've invited Amy Klassen to stay with us for four days at the house. I was like, who does that? So this is like a ranged, an arranged weekend at my parents' place, and uh, it was phenomenal. Because what happened was my dad created slash forced the context for re- reciprocity to start being born. We went on w- walks and hikes. We were like crazy wild drinking peppermint tea super late. Uh, I, can't, I can't tell you how off the chain things got. Um, but what, what it was was just time and exposure to the other person. And that really became the context and the soil for new love to emerge. And, you know, it was four years later, way too long for my father's timeline that we got married. But what, what I was struggling with in that was commitment. I, I wanted things to guarantee that my commitment would be worth the risk on the front end. I wanted intimacy and relationship and connection before commitment but the hard thing is that's not usually the order. <laughs> and so we needed a context of time for commitment to start happening, and then connection started flowing in. David Brooks, uh, New York Times columnist, talks about this is the tension of why adulting is so hard. Uh, and so this is part of his commencement speech to the University of Pennsylvania. And he does something I think pretty countercultural. He makes his whole speech about this, that the measure of your life depends on how well you can commit. So he says, he says this, we live in a society that puts a lot of emphasis on freedom and personal choice, but the thing I've learned recently is that if you spend your years keeping your options open, you will lead a life of impotent, you'll lead an impotent, fragmented life. You'll wander about in the indeterminacy of your own passing feelings and your own changeable heart. And life will be a series of temporary moments, not an accumulating flow of accomplishment. This, he keeps going, but can you hear how radical this is to say at a, a commencement speech? He says, you will never be all in for anyone or any path. Because your eyes are always wandering to some other possibility. You'll lay waste to your powers, scattering them in all directions. And then he says this, To have a fulfilling life, you must make promises. You have to surrender some freedom to choice to taste a higher freedom. The freedom that comes after you've settled on a direction. Change yourself to a cause and enlarge your capacities. Finally, it is precisely our restraints that liberate us for freedom. You have to chain yourself to years of piano practice to have the freedom to really play. Countercultural, this is the way of Jesus that is so hard to absorb, which is, it was so hard for me because I thought it was all about getting a girlfriend. I got to get a girlfriend. The, the thing was, uh, actually, I need to give myself to a girlfriend, and that's way harder for me because giving myself means vulnerability, openness, uh, transparency, which are things historically I'm not good at. (laughs) So I had to give myself in order to get reciprocity, and that's so risky. So that's what we're looking at this morning. Uh, Let's look at Ephesians 4, 7 to 16 as we're going there. I'll say short prayer, and we will get into... Uh, this passage, God, we are, we are caught, we are stuck, we are often afraid of our lives being diminished, becoming smaller, and so we keep wanting to expand. Would you lead us into the paradox of, that relates to letting go and gaining? Would you lead us into the paradox of um, restraint and freedom? Help us. As we've sang, uh, there's there's no fear (laughs) anymore, and yet there's plenty in this room. So meet our fear with your perfect love. Drive fear out in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. So we have been in a series looking at church. Why church? What's it for? Is it worth it? Uh, We've got a couple more weeks left here. In Ephesians, but those are the questions that are hanging in the chair, in, in, not in the chair, in the air. What is church and uh, why, why, uh, why bother? So Ephesians 4 7 picks off right where we left last week, which is all about unity and oneness. And there's a big, uh, there's a but here, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, and Paul's quoting Old Testament here. Uh, When he ascended on high, he took many captives to give gifts to his people. And there's this bracketed thing where Paul has to explain himself. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. If that part's supposed to be helpful, I'm not sure um, yet how it's helping. I'll need a few more weeks. But the passage carries on. So Christ himself As each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let's note here, it's a long passage. Let's note where it starts. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given. So we're getting clarity more and more on what is church. Know where it starts gifts, establishing this foundation. God is generous. God gives gifts, hands out grace, apportions it to all people. And this is the start of church. Now who, just quick survey question, who loves getting gifts? That's, you'd say that's close to, if you're into love languages, you'd say that's up there. Getting them, okay. You, you're, your hands went down so fast. I, I want to see. Who you love getting gifts? I know, Nathan, you do. I missed your birthday, I'm sorry. Okay, who loves, who loves giving gifts? Who, who, would love, who would prefer to give them? And you're not trying to do it's more blessed to... You, know, you, you, you genuinely love it. Oh, That's so interesting. Uh, I love that. Um, i got to share a quick story about a gift. I've been reflecting on it because it happened December 25th, Christmas Day. I get a text out of the blue my friend, Kathy Kwan. Kathy says, I've got a gift for you. Can I come over? Sure. Come on over. That itself was surprising. Who does that on Christmas Day? Interrupts Kathy's plans with her family to come over to my zoo and enter our home and to you didn't like that zoo comment? I'm sorry, Eva. I remember my kids are in the room. Uh, to my perfectly well-ordered home. And, uh, and, she, and she came and she said, you know, that trip I was just on in Manitoba, I was in this shop, I saw this thing and I thought of you and I got it. And so here it is. And, and so it came in this little box and I opened it up and it's this brass thing and, and I, op- I pull it out I'm going to tell you what it is, guy. It's a pen. Hold how heavy that is. It's heavy. It is so heavy. Can I get a witness on this as well, Suzanne? Yeah. So she said, I, I picked it up. It's so heavy, and the angles, and the, it was so nerdy, I thought of you, which I didn't know as a, you know, is that a compliment? Uh, but it has this thing that twists off, and then, Watch. Getting a little cocky there about my pen, magnet on the back end, and that magnet's strong. That's not falling off. Feels so good in the hand, and start writing, and the flow of ink, just tremendous. I I was I've never been given a pen. I didn't really know I needed a pen, um, but now I'm into pens. This pen in particular, and so that gift did a few things. I noticed the first thing is it it confronted me with grace. We've been talking about how grace is unmerited. Uh, This was really exciting and hard to receive. I did not have a gift planned for Kathy. I didn't know we were going to do a gift exchange. And so that was really hard for me. I was actually looking around things in my home uh, going, what might Kathy like that I could quickly wrap? (laughs) So that's what grace does. It confronts you with unmerited favor. I couldn't reciprocate right away. It's hard. Second thing, gifts connect relationships. So it, it affirmed our friendship and I thought, I, she was thinking about me in Manitoba and like that beautiful object made her think about me. Oh, connects relationship. The third thing it, it, gifts do is gifts create responsibility. Because Kathy didn't give me this pen to stay in the box. I know she gave it to me to complete Sudokus, which I've been using it for. But also, to, to probably write something, to take this beautiful object to its, the fulfillment of its purpose, a beautiful object like this has to create some beautiful words and put some beauty out in the world. So I, f- I feel now responsible. I'm a, now I'm a man with a very unmerited nice pen that underscores a relationship to a very nice person that now I'm responsible to use. So gifts are awesome. Gifts that get used are awesomer, way better because the magic of gifts is that they're generative. They're given, and then they generate, and they keep going. So I've been thinking about Finn Rosagren, who is so awesome, because Finn is in the front row with a green sweater there. And often, uh, Laura and Theo, yeah, Laura and Theo will often be sitting here. And when uh, Finn is facing backwards, she lights up all the rows behind her because Finn has this gift, this particular grace for smiling and looking at people's faces, yeah, and, and just like delighting in people. And so that gift gets generative because the rest of us behind her just, you can't help but you start smiling uh, because Finn's exercising her gift. That's what gifts do. They confront us with grace, they connect relationship, they create responsibility. And when it comes to gifts plus God, it's the same thing. It's never about merit with God. Scripture says that God gives generously without finding fault. Like there's no tally going on. God's generous. Uh, Paul says he's rich, like he's rich with unmerited favor, grace. Grace. God gives to connect in relationship, to reveal God's thoughts towards you. I mean, that most famous Bible verse, God gave his one and only son, what? To reconcile a relationship. And the third thing is God gives to create responsibility and partnership. And so, what is church? We could say really shortly, church is a gift conspiracy, Absolutely, gift conspiracy. God gives gifts to you for other people. God is so into hospitality and surprises and showing up in people's living rooms, sometimes uninvited, with like, I have something for you. Or doing that in a conversation or over a meal. God's given me something. Everyone has something and all of it's meant to be shared. And the cool part is that Christ is bankrolling the whole operation. We're not going to run out of grace because Christ is bankrolling. So here's how it looks. This is an example from the early church, Acts 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. This is usually in this passage what I've noticed, going, wow, that's radical. Uh, But what I haven't noticed is the coming section. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Oh, that's what we've been looking at these last couple weeks. God's grace, so active, so powerful that it overflows the banks of some sort of maybe privatized theology into your social, horizontal, everyday life. What is church? It's a gift conspiracy bankrolled by Christ, which means then, that when I risk community, they might have my meals when I'm sick or have twins or am in between work for really long. It also may mean that she has your healing because she's received some healing In not the same kind of trauma, but a similar kind of trauma. And in that healing, she is a wounded healer. And offers you insight that no book, podcast, or pastor could give you. It, It may mean that you have his rent when he's out of work. Like that Christmas bonus may not be for that Caribbean cruise. It actually may be to sustain someone. It could mean that your group has belonging for him. That when you extend the circle and say, Do you want to come with us to the alibi room after church, you've extended your circle, you have belonging for them. It could mean that you just have attention and affection for a person by, by uh, listening in a conversation, you're giving them a gift. And, and it certainly means that Julia always has a joke for us on a Sunday morning, right? Yeah, I love it too, Ben. And, and so this is, it's a gift conspiracy that we're a part of. And again, the beauty of it and the danger of it is that it works around this kind of thing that we often treat as a binary. Get Oh, yeah, here's a summary. Okay, yeah, that's good. I'll pay attention to my own order. Uh So church is people. Church is people being given gifts. Church is people being given gifts from Christ for others. And church is being given gifts from Christ for others. And the whole thing is bankrolled by God's infinite generosity, which animates a full-on grace-giving gift-a-thon. Okay. So, but it hinges and it gets caught on this binary often of give or get give, or get. And so because we think those two are separate things, they're binary, then we're always measuring. It's always a ledger. So next slide. Like I'm measuring, if I give that much, am I going to get a return? I can't help but have lenses for ROI on everything because I am a consumer. That's part of being raised in a if you've been raised in a free market. I'm a consumer, so I know how to measure very precisely give, get. When we're invited into relationship, though, and it's healthy relationship of reciprocity, it gets messy. Next slide. I can't parse it out. It's colliding. It's sometimes a lot of giving, and then it goes into getting, and then it's giving, and it's getting. And when it's relationship marked by love, no one's counting. I trust you that when I give to you, I will get from you. Way messier. Way, but this is how love works. And so the start of the church is people with gifts. God bankrolls it. He gives gifts to you for other people. Let's see what could happen. And the text continues then in verse 11. So Christ himself gave. OK, it's not letting up on this. more giving talk, more generosity talk. What did Christ give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Theologians call this the five-fold ministry, and we're not going to get much uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, just to note that Jesus has given a diversity of leadership to the church. For what? Well, it says, to equip his people. Okay. (laughs) So these five different types of leaders that women and men uh, feel, the point is to not do the stuff, but empower others to do the stuff? Oh. So the whole point is to give away opportunity to take risks including, in including people before they're ready. A church is, needs healthy leadership, but a church is not. It's leaders. Okay? A church is not its sermons or the particular personality or gifts of a leader or a pastor. We've established a church are people, gifted people, who give gifts. And so a leader is someone who tends to co-create and, and guards an environment so that people can develop and discover and give gifts. So everybody's in on it. Not that a few paid staff do all the stuff. How boring. So that's the point of Leadership is to make other people better, to empower. And the word equip there, I, I looked that one up. This is the only time it ha- it occurs in the New Testament, uh, which I thought was interesting. And, and it means to, to bring someone or something into maturity, to bring someone or something into a fuller sense of what it is, completion. And I think, is there anything better than that? Is there anything better than... Seeing someone not only discover their gifts, but take risks in starting to use them and walk in them. Now, my friend Baz, I know he won't want me to talk about him, but I'm doing it, Baz. It, it is, uh, there's nothing better than seeing Baz with his particular eye and his way of seeing the world take a risk of using that and just doing photography full time. Has been such a joy to watch. There's nothing better than seeing someone like Julia Church, her gift for entrepreneurship, grit, leadership, risk taking, for that to, to be employed and used in starting business. Nothing better than that. It's, there's nothing better than seeing, again, baby Finn Rosengren light up a whole section of the church by using her gift of smiles. <laughs> Like, there's nothing better than being a part of seeing people walk in to what they were made to do. Nothing better. And the whole point Paul is saying is this. He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is what maturity means, fullness. So when I resist maturity, I'm resisting fullness. It means becoming the thing that it was meant to be. So it would be odd if you said, I'm really into horticultural endeavors, and I love growing things, particularly, let's say, blueberry shrubs but it would be odd if you somehow started de- defending that blueberry shrub from producing blueberries. Because that's, the full, that's fullness for blueberry, right? It's the fullness is not just sticks, but berries, lots. And so if you somehow said, no, I, I, I do not want that. I do not want to see a blueberry shrub start adulting. hmm See that would be that's dangerous for the blueberries. You say, well, something's something's broken there in in the perception of what maturity is, because maturity is fullness. And what Paul's saying is that the best version of a person, in all their particularity, the best version of a person looks like Christ. Then growing up into the measure of the fullness of Jesus, the most fullest you you could be. Would be to become more like Jesus. And if that sounds strange or perhaps boring or anything less than compelling, that may indicate that, oh, well, what does that mean about uh, what I think Jesus is? And that could be an invitation into some exploration about my view of who. Christ is. But that's what Paul's saying. The most full, most enlivening way to be human is to be like Jesus. And that's what this community is for, is blueberries. Not just like mere sticks. Blueberries. Somebody's liking fruit. Okay. So now watch watch what he does now. He says, Then, this is verse fourteen. So the whole point's maturity. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He's putting infancy in its place saying, well, why would you defend that? Why would you say that's better? And it's interesting, Paul's saying, instead of rootedness or having no anchor or perpetual options open, which is the dominant vision of freedom... He says, instead of that, you're invited into relationships of reciprocity and mutuality and give and get. And so, if we were to kind of map it out, we could say this infancy, uh, no, 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 back. I, I didn't give notes. I think it's the one before that. No, okay, I didn't put it in there. Never mind. Infancy, we could say, would probably be all getting, and injury is all giving. I mean to be an infant it just it is 100% get 100% you're feeding you're changing you're love everything but to grow up means to transition into a rhythm of reciprocity of give and get but you can go so far and this is the pain of adulthood is that you lose reciprocity and and you just are all about give give and it leads to injury so instead of this paul's trying to say i want you to imagine what church is like as a body that's what he says he says the the, it's to equip you to become body of christ which if you've been around for a while you know that's one of the common metaphors for church Uh, whatever metaphor paul uses like in chapter two we had living architecture a building made not with stones but with people. So you got living architecture. Other places, it's family. Here, it's body. Whatever the metaphor is, the image is interconnected relationship of reciprocity. We will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body. So, a couple things about bodies then. First thing is having a body. I want to talk about church and your body and my body As well, and just let these two metaphors kind of ping pong uh, around each other. So, when I was in grad school, I mostly existed in books, lots of studying, lots and lots of studying. I existed with predominantly old, very smart white men. And so, I was into quotes, loved buying books. And if you were to press me on my self-concept of what my body was, it would basically be a brain on two legs. Did did zero for my body, other than like try and keep my blood sugar up so that I could just spend more time reading. (laughs) And so I was in this environment, which was all brain. And at the time, I had a whole bunch of a whole bunch, literally a whole bunch of little kids. And so, because of them, I kept getting led back into my body. That's what kids will do to you. <laughs> so, I'm in the library, and then I'm in the swimming pool, because I'm with them, and they loved Hillcrest. And so, we'd go to Hillcrest, and I'd be at Hillcrest, and I would remember, oh, I've got a body. I can float, you know? Uh, also, some self-consciousness, that I've got a body. And I can float. It's because of that body that I can float. Um, and, and I realized I wasn't just attending to quotes, but I, actually what I was noticing were other bodies. It's like, this is phenomenal. Look at the range of bodies here. Look at the range of how people exist in their bodies. Just struts, like very diminutive, right? The whole range. And so by being in the pool, I wrote a poem at the pool. We've all got bodies elsewhere, we've got brands, we've got fabrications, we've got Lululemon butt-lifting pants. At the pool, we've all got bodies in trunks and clamshells, some working with flaps and pleats, pleating to conceal, others in experiment in Swiss minimalism and risk management. All of us dealing with the unalterable fact that we've all got what we've got, that at the pool, we've all got bodies, bouncy bodies, bodies that need brushing, fluorescent white, white bodies, energized child bodies, hot tub tired bodies, bodies, all of them absorbed in being here. Not spiritual ghosts, not online avatars, but us at the pool with their splashing floating leaping bodies this led to the thank you this this led to a new concept i have a body i knew that when i was a boy got disconnected from it over time as an adult i have one huh. this is what paul's trying to help people see Church is a body. Church is a body, and it's actually not, a, actually not a cadaver. That you are able to dissect and poke, deconstruct. Like, you can do all that. You can stand over it but you'll just be so frustrated because the church's body has resurrection DNA in it and doesn't stay dead and it keeps moving keeps getting up it keeps not allowing you to stand over it in observation objectify it but to risk being subjective in it that's, that's the crazy thing about church I want to stand apart from it I, in fact, my whole training as a pastor has to, to do that. To stand apart and to stand over. And the invitation is to get in. Way, way harder. We could contrast how church as a body is different than how you usually see church. So let's, let's pick another image, event. So the identity is a what? Church is a what? I go to church. The frequency... Well, once a week, like if I'm really hardcore. (laughs) Priority, whenever I can make it, depending on Saturday night. Proximity, individuals with parallel lives in a room, attending event at the same time. Permanence, as long as this event lasts. The nature, consumeristic. Relational quality, low. Low support, low challenge, low transformation. So if Paul's saying church is body, what would that mean? Well, it goes to a who. We are church, and it gets even more risky if I say I am church. And the frequency is actually throughout the week because I'm never not my body. I don't have that option. of If I'm in a body, I'm in it. I'm never not my body. And priority is first importance because my health, whatever I am, I, my, my health is contingent on every part of my body. And so the proximity is a community with interconnected lives sharing a way of life. The permanence is, uh, you know, as long as we're in the city, the nature is committed and, and the quality is high support, high challenge, high transformation. So having a body is hard because as I've learned, I tend to ignore it or to wage war on it being in a body way harder <laughs> having is one thing being in it is another this is paul's intent from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love what a beautiful vision of church and while also terrifying church counts happens when i count myself in Health happens when I count myself inside my body. I want to show you a video here. This is the other morning. It's fine if we don't have audio. We may. So this is... I'm in bed filming this. This is in the morning. And this is my youngest son who said, Hey, Dad, you mind if I get a few steps for you on your Fitbit? And I said, yeah, man, go for it. He got me 1,500 steps. <laughs> which I think is a pretty good hack, right? Uh, I'm in bed. He's exercising on my Fitbit. <laughs> but see, there's things you can only do if you're in them, right? Like that, I'm, yeah, I'm hacking the system to register some exercise. But next slide. Like there, there's there's things you can only do if you're in it. I can, like Scott Mctager, I could become a lifeguard. Um, I could I could just wear swimsuits all the time, just full nettle's tail line every single day. Um, I could I could be the biggest Michael Phelps fan anyone's ever met. I could carry. F- Foam noodles everywhere. But at some point, if I'm going to enjoy swimming, I will need to be in the water. My toes will not be able to touch the ground. I will have to find a way for some self-propulsion. That's the move from objective to subjective, scariest thing in the world. To to move from church being a what to a who? Frightening. Totally risky. Risky. And, and this is how it usually goes. We experience church first as a what? Maybe some of us, like the first experience of artisan church was the website, right? And you just spent weeks or months trying to find, is there going to be courage to, like, cro- to make that risk, to go from website to physical space? Or it was podcasts, or it was just a friend connected to the community, The prospect of getting in the pool joining a body being in a church is so intimidating and so weird and so difficult that those of us who've been in the body for a long time tend to forget that really hard stuff and therefore time experience exposure is needed for trust to start making the context for commitment to happen And so it is entirely appropriate for however long that some of us may need to come and sit in the back row. Some of us may need to calculate our arrivals and departures so that we arrive late and we leave early. Some of us may need to come in and ask the hardest questions that we're afraid to ask and to risk offending this community that I'm trying to find if it's safe. However, you need to experience and test is the life of this church actually genuine. You are welcome to do so. However that looks, it looks different, but our hope is over time new sprouts of curiosity and exploration emerge and for some this may mean like I'm going to start attending and coming here, for some that may shift into like participating by joining a Sunday team. Some may even really get brave and go to a table group with a bunch of their friends. Again, however that happens, and we've got something we call our map, which we don't talk about, but it's community formation, spiritual formation, and ministry formation. And what it is, it's the pathway that we want to invite people into at whatever commitment they're willing to offer, to invite them in from moving from observer And at the end of that pathway is creator, to be a creative, fully participating. This actually is the way of Jesus. He starts with people. We see it in the Gospels where he says, come and see. High invitation. Come and see. The invitation changes over the Gospels and it goes from come and see to come and die. High invitation to high participation. And the interesting thing with Jesus is, at the end, he's with his disciples in John 15, and he says, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. That's where that high invitation and high participation leads. Not into some sort of servant thing, which is all giving, being used up, but into friendship, which is reciprocity give and get and give and get that's jesus's intentions and many of us are suspect of that and rightfully so but the church is the body to embody that way of jesus to go from come and see to come and die or as scott has brought the language to us which i think is really helpful that we want to be a church of high support and high challenge we need both for growth. So, having a body, being in a body, and then last, moving in a body. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Moving as a body. This is where it gets really exciting because the result of this is that Jesus becomes visible and tangible. Like, I keep thinking of... This is probably a horrible metaphor, but I keep thinking of those inflatable things outside like a car wash, right? When that air comes into it and it goes from like two-dimensional to three-dimensional, right? And it starts, but it's way better than that because it's an actual living, moving body, not like Gumby, kind of bending all over. That's, that's the beautiful thing. So the dance is to get the thing I have to learn how to give myself to the thing. But I only give myself to the thing when I trust that thing. And so I need an environment that offers support and challenge for trust to be built and reciprocity form. And God's genius is to create this kind of community which is going to be imperfect and not going to do that well, to create that community inside a perfect community Perfect community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the whole point. So, at this time, one invitation for us. And this question is what's mine to give and what's mine to get? If a healthy body exists on eating and exercising, on sleeping and working, listening and speaking, sitting and walking, Giving and getting what's mine to give and what's mine to get in this season. It may be that uh, you are being invited by the one who's bankrolling all this grace to give of some of the grace that's been given to you. And you may see yourself as like, I'm actually super poor because I don't have a job, but you're actually wealthy in time. It's a grace. You have more time, and so perhaps the invitation is to give of it to people. You might be invited to give five minutes of your time this morning to someone to attend to them. That's, that may be the way you're called to give. You may be called by God to give of your finances, something we rarely talk about in church. But to realize, you know, all of this is grace. Grace. All of this is grace, and I think I'm gonna give. You may be called to give your family. Say, I have no time, I have no money because I have a lot of kids, but I can give belonging and some mayhem. I can give my table. Like if people like craft dinner, I can give that lots, lots of craft dinner. That may be your grace to give. Maybe your education, which you, you assumed was all about to get you to the next step or stepping stone into your career, maybe it wasn't about that. Maybe there's ways for you to give your education, to share it, to live an open-source life by, by just slowly mentoring people or sharing your field of knowledge. Maybe it's, you're, you live in the downtown east side. And, and because you've lived here for years, you understand what I'm talking about, about reciprocity. And so you've got something to give to people in this church who've grown up middle class their whole life and have a real hard time with community and how to receive something. And maybe you could, you could help some of us. I'll include myself in that. Help some of us middle class folk learn about community. Maybe it's just serving on a Sunday team. I don't know. What is yours to give? I'll tell you what. one thing I'm trying to figure out of what's mine to give. A friend told me a story of a woman in his church uh, called Ndina, uh, born, raised in Kenya, and said that her mother would throw huge church rival- revivals and parties at her house. And so people would travel from all over the country to join them, and the house would be packed with people from all over Kenya. And, and so there's guests, there's people are sleeping on the floor and the tables and any flat surface because it's packed. And Dina's mom said uh, that she, oh, she had this phrase about Kenyan hospitality. The person who travels the furthest gets the bed. <laughs> and so if, I, I heard that and I thought, well, if they're going to get the bed, that means someone's going to have to give their bed. And so I've been asking myself, What am I to give, particularly to those who have not been able to participate in the church uh, and have had to travel a far way? How do I find and give space to people who have had to travel further through racism, prejudice, and fear to make sure they get the bed? That's what I'm working on right now. I wanted you to know that. What is mine to give? I think my bed. I'm not sure what that means yet. So what is yours to give? And the second thing, what is yours to get? I hope you know, if you've been around, I think there's a fairly healthy culture in this church to people taking breaks when they need them. I hope you've experienced that. There's many of us who have it had seasons where we're leading a lot in the church. And for whatever reason, I've had to say, you know, I need to step back. There's grace for that. You have to trust God's bankrolling the whole thing. So that's okay if you rest. And maybe this season you've been really pushing and it's time for you to say, you know what, I need to to get some sleep. I like physical sleep. (laughs) Uh, It might mean that you're here to receive a relationship. Uh, You know, whatever. Boyfriend, girlfriend, yeah, whatever. Maybe. Or it could be a relationship with someone who's so unlike you. And by being in reciprocal relationship with them, you will be transformed. That could be why you're here. And so, what is yours to get? Just like being open to relationship with people who I don't get. Uh, you you may be here to receive belonging. And you've been resisting it. Because again, to belong, you have to allow yourself to belong. And to belong means to say, I'm not just going to stand on the edge of the thing or look over it, but I will get in it. A good friend told me a story. He came home from work. He was super tired and agitated. He's got two boys. His oldest boy was crawling all over his back. And he just wanted to eat and decompress. And the older boy was so hungry to be with him. He was all over. And he started getting agitated. And his youngest boy, who's three, is sitting across the table watching him. And he says this, Dad, It doesn't hurt. It's just love. (laughs) Three years old. (laughs) Some of us need to hear that. Like, it's just love. And sometimes it's absorbing people's attempts at loving you and including you that are awkward. Like, that's actually more invasive than I'm looking for, but okay. (sighs) So maybe it means receiving community. It may mean this morning receiving Christ, just saying, my whole life I is, this is a new framework, receiving grace, unmerited favor, this is new. You don't have to understand it to get it. You just go like this. So this morning may be just receiving Christ for the first time, or the hundredth time. What is yours to give? What is yours to receive? And how beautiful would it be for a church? For those needs to become known and named so that your need for, you know, like very real need, I need to rent a basement suite. It needs to be under $1,500. I don't know if that exists. Uh, and uh, I need it. Like it, or I'm not in the city. For that need to be, get, to be known and because someone else's grace, because they work in real estate, say, hi. I have a connection for you. As that need gets known, it's met by the grace of somebody else's profession. Or, or your need just as a single mom to have a break, that gets named, and in that, somebody receives the grace of your child as they crawl over and hug them and play Legos, and they have not played Legos for 40 years, and they realize, I've been missing Lego, <laughs> right? Like there's so much possibility when we take risks in reciprocity, so as in church, let's it's 2018, let's, let's keep doing this. We are doing it. We're in it. Christ is bankrolling this thing. There's no fear because grace will not run out. I'm counting on it because I need it, genuinely. <laughs> so let, let's keep going in. Let's walk this path together, risking having, having a body, being in it, and moving in it together. So, this week, let's, uh, let's live and tell and risk some stories of reciprocity. Actually, let's do this right now. Let's take a risk. Because it won't always work in a gathering, but does someone want to make a need known? I'm asking you something very vulnerable. Does anyone want to make a need known? It may be like when Lance said babysitter. Bing bing yes, (laughs) or it may be like I, uh, I have a different need. Like I'm struggling to make rent, or um, I need to know that if I bring my walls down here, that you're still going to accept me. I don't know, but does someone want to name a need, and we'll just hold that hold space for that? And it may mean that the Spirit nudges you that you're going to be part of the answer to that need. Let's take a risk. If nothing else, we'll enjoy silence. Anyone have a need? I need a job. Yeah. All right, well let's spend some time listening and maybe the Spirit's prompting you after the gathering to crack down Tim and hear a bit more. I don't know, maybe you're a career counselor. Maybe you're like super connected in the city and God's grace is gonna flow through you to Tim. Who knows? Maybe you're none of those things but you just are about to quit your job or something and you have yours, I don't know. <laughs> The point is, this could work a million ways, people, okay? What else? Thank you, Tim. You're the first one, thank you. What else? Childcare? Yeah. Well, okay, you're my neighbor, so that means I might have something to do with that. <laughs> thank you, Robin. need to see your son-in-law, Nathan, healed. So it may be that there's someone here who has the gift of healing, which is a spiritual gift, which you may or may not exist, actually is real. But it may be you have that gift. So let's listen for that. Maybe maybe that's your grace to give would be at some point to come alongside Nathan to lay your trembling hands on him and ask for physical restoration. I need some accountability outside of my wife to exercise. Mm. Thank you, Jordan. So we've heard a few people take very courageous steps in naming need. I want to acknowledge this happens not just when we're in the big circle, but in the tiny circles. This happens in neighborhood groups. This happens even if you're not in a group, because again, you're not ready for that commitment. But it does happen at the alibi room. The point is, whatever the context that we are people, looking and listening we live by grace so God would you wherever we are at would you open us to risk again to risk the vulnerability of receiving what is unmerited to risk connection with you and with your church and to risk creativity which comes from taking responsibility you help us to risk? Would you also help us to be your moving body that is visible and tangible, not just to each other, but beyond? In the neighborhoods represented here, in the workplaces represented here, May, may this gift conspiracy not be a slide, or my phrase, may it be the nature of our shared life. We know this is your intention, so Spirit of God, would you stir us up to risk giving and getting? Would you make this a place that is an arena of grace where that can happen? Would you bankroll the whole thing? And may there just be stories. In this week, may there be stories of your grace being sufficient for people. We thank you for your invitation to this table which anchors us in your grace and requires us to receive it. Thank you for your invitation. Thank you that you your desire the end point is to call us friends and to invite us into friendship. If there's any of us that want to say yes to friendship again this morning give us grace for the risk to say yes to you. So we come by your grace Eager to see how, what you're going to do and how this meal is going to go out and help us to move in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus on the night.